Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Well, howdy, Faith Church. Great to see you all. If you're joining us online, you're here on campus. If you're new, if you're old, we're grateful to be together. Worship God together. If you participated last week with us for the Vision Sunday, super grateful for your vote. That is your voice and excited for some things that are happening in the days ahead. If you missed that, I encourage you to watch that sermon last week because it gives you some updates that are important for our church family. Also reminds all of us that Boy, my spiritual life impacts the entire family, and your spiritual life impacts the entire church family. So if I'm spiritually struggling, our family is spiritually struggling. And if I'm spiritually doing well, our family is spiritually doing well. So your life and your walk with Jesus impacts other people, and we get to be a part of sort of leaning in and following Jesus together. We as a church family have been working our way through the New Testament book of Titus, and Titus poses this question to us, am I a credible Christian? Am I a credible Christian? And this word credible just means believable. Am I trustworthy? Am I credible? If I say that I put my trust in Jesus and Jesus has forgiven me and lives inside my heart, do I live and act and breathe and talk and think in a believable, trustworthy way? Do I represent the heart of Christ as I walk through my neighborhood, as I work outside the home, as I work inside the home? Am I credible? And I think a lot of us, we don't necessarily ask this question. So if somebody says, hey, are you a credible Christian? I think most of us go, well, I guess I never really thought about that. Or some of us might say, I, I want to be a credible Christian. I want to be believable, trustworthy, that if Jesus lives inside me, I want it to look like I have the heart of Christ and I interact with people in a way that represents him well. I'm not sure fully how to do that. You might say, I want to be a credible Christian, but I'm not sure how. And it's why we have the Bible and we open it up to Paul's writing to this younger friend of his named Titus. And in the early verses of this letter, he defines for us what a credible Christian is. He says, a credible Christian is a person who's growing in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And this is the most important word, godliness. That if I say God is alive, if I say that God is real, if I believe that God rose from the dead and paid for my sins and lives inside me, if I say that, then I have to become more like him. Or it's just lip service, it's just words. Like lots of people say a lots of things about a lot of, hey, I'm the biggest Yankee fan ever and I know nothing about the Yankees, I'm not very credible, right? And so it's like, okay, am I believable? And here he teaches us what that means. It's a person growing in the knowledge of the truth, that the truth is what sets us free and the Bible is God's word to us and it opens up truth for us that we apply to our lives and our lifestyle and it begins to alter how we live and think and act and we become credible. To the degree that the truth doesn't change us, we're frauds, we're fake, we're name only. But as the truth of God's word starts to change us, we become more and more credible, more and more godlike in our actions and in our lifestyle because this world is full of voices and deception and distraction. I want to hear the voice of Jesus and be changed into his likeness so that I can have the heart of God and show the world he's alive then I'm credible. 
that I'm credible, right? And so this is what we're leaning into as we open up this passage. I encourage you to turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Titus is in the New Testament. We use the NIV, New International Version. Love for you to follow along and look at this together because it helps us to grow. It's really neat to kind of work through a letter and learn from beginning to end where a thought of progress is going and learn about credibility. In, in this text, it's sort of action-packed. There's a lot here in these sets of verses. And really, what he's going to do is he's going to encourage us, yes, to be credible, but beyond credible, he wants to encourage sons and daughters to be believable, yes, trustworthy, yes, but also attractional, like magnetic. He wants us to, to look like him in such a way that we're credible and magnetic. He's adding credibility and magnetism so that we become like him and people are drawn to know the Christ who lives inside us. And he's kind of giving us how to do that in these verses. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. Your spirit carried along um, authors over a lot of years to write these things down for us. You've preserved these words for us so that we could learn and grow in 2023 and apply these ancient truths to our lives today. And there's application for us today in this set of verses that we can grow credible, believable, trustworthy, and magnetic, attractive to put on display that you're alive. God, over history, your word has been, people have tried to destroy it. People have tried to annihilate it, to erase it, but your word lasts and stands forever. It is our compass and our anchor in all the ups and downs. It's guided generation after generation of people to look like you. And so would you use it to, to change me and my friends listening today, that we would become more like you, remove every distraction and help us to hear your heart and transform us into sons and daughters that look like you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So Paul has addressed in this letter up to this point, he's addressed leaders and he's addressed false teachers. He's addressed older Christians and younger Christians. Now Paul is going to address slaves because in the ancient world, slavery was a normal part of their socioeconomic system. So listen, he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, Titus. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Paul wants all of us in this thought, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, he wants all sons and daughters to live in such an attractive, magnetic way that people see the reality of Christ living in us. He goes so far as to say, 
if you're a slave, live in such a magnetic, attractive way that your master sees how you live and senses that God is alive through you. I mean, that's pretty bold, right? And the elephant in the room is the question, why would Paul tell slaves to obey their masters? Like, why doesn't he tell them, hey, rebuke your masters, get free, don't submit to them, fight back. Does the Bible condone slavery, support slavery? Because if it does, I'm not joining the Jesus Club, right? Is that what he's saying? And I'm gonna tackle the question of slavery in just a moment, so hang with me. Before I do that, I wanna look closely at verses 11 through 14 because it sets the stage for why he's talking about what he says and helps us to unlock and see this entire book. And here's, here's sort of the premise of 11 through 14. What condition do you find yourself in today? What condition do you and your friends and family and neighbors, like who are you and what are you like? Here's the answer, you're a train wreck. You're an absolute mess. You're a pig with lipstick on, right? Like, let's keep going with analogies. We are all so stinking messed up. I know it, you know it, we all know it. We're train wrecks. We're all filled with guilt. We're all full of shame. We're all full of gossip. We're all full of slander. We're all full of deceit. We're all full of fear and anxiety. This is the condition of the human race. Yes, we have some good moments when we come to church. We look kind of good. We do some maybe good things, but we feel our brokenness. We feel it in our own lives and we feel it in the lives around us. We know this to be true. And the way the Bible explains it, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? So this is what the Bible teaches, that the glory of God is that everything is pure and peaceful. There's no deceit and no wickedness and no injustice. There's no fear or no anxiety. We have fallen short of that. Why? The Bible says we're self-centered sin sinners. We're rebels against the holy God. We're so self-focused. We're not God-focused. We're all sinful. And for our entire lives and for the entire human race, we've tried to fix that in ourselves. We, we sense it and we know it about ourselves and we know it about the people around us. We try to fix it, solve it. So we try to modify our behavior. We try to meditate. We try religion, try all kinds of things. And maybe some days I get better, but my family's a train wreck and the skeletons in my family closet are immense. They're about as bad as yours, right? So all of our families, there's skeletons and problems. We have good moments and bad moments, but we're all train wrecks and we try to fix it ourselves and it doesn't work. And God looks at the condition of the human heart and says, I'll fix that. Verse 11 Titus 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, right? And so, so here's what God does. He sees the train wreck of my life and the skeletons in my family closet and the generational problems that I have and the generational problems that you have. He sees all the ways we botch it. He says, I love you too much to leave you, so I'm going to fix what you can't fix for the grace of God has appeared. We couldn't do it ourselves. He sends Jesus. He appears on earth to offer both grace and truth. The grace of Jesus as he looks at you and the train wreck you've made of your life and the people around you, and he says, I love you despite your train wreck. I care about you. I, I'm not grossed out by you. I'm not gonna avoid you. I'm not gonna ignore you. I love you. 
That's the grace of Jesus Christ. But the truth of Jesus Christ is he walks around planet earth and says, repent, turn, the kingdom of heaven is near. Like walk away from the way you're selfish and sinful. Turn to me, walk with me, follow me, repent, turn. And when you turn from your sin and selfish ways to faith in Christ and you embrace him, you're saved. When you put your trust in Jesus, you're forgiven. You're adopted into the family of God. He puts his spirit inside you. Verse 12 tells us what his spirit does. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. He teaches us, he brings us into his family and teaches us to be transformed, to be different, to say no we're intended by God to change, that the knowledge of truth leads to godliness, God-likeness. We start living and acting differently. We're transformed. The old is gone and the new is come. Verse 14, Jesus says, he gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We try to fix our own mess and we can't. God says, I love you so much and sends Jesus to fix the mess we can't fix. And he says, bring me into your life and I'm gonna change you from the inside out, but you're no longer to act the same way as you used to. I'm making a people, a family that are pure and holy and credible and believable and trustworthy and magnetic. I'm doing something different. And he says at the end of verse 12, he says, this is what's gonna happen in this present age, that this particular season of human history means that there's going to be another human age. There's going to be another point in human history, in a future age, where a new season is going to come. He says, live a godly life in this present age, verse 13, while you wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like in this present age, you're to act and live in such a way that's magnetic, showing that God is alive because there's going to be another age, a future age, a blessed hope. What is blessed hope? Jesus showed up the first time, born to a virgin, lived in a manger, was a normal toddler and teenager, was a carpenter turned teacher, walked the earth perfectly, loved God perfectly and loved his neighbor perfectly, and he dies on the cross, right? And he pays for our sins on the cross, and he rises again from the dead. He's more than a moral teacher. He's the son of God, and he ascends back to God. So during this present age, where is Jesus? The Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's interceding and advocating for us. He's cheering us on. He's waiting. He's active. He's engaged. He's left you and me here in this present age to do something, to act in a certain way. He's entrusted us to move the kingdom forward one person at a time through how we live. In the future, Jesus will come again to planet Earth. And sometimes we go, ah, this, isn't, this must be a fairy tale. But Acts 1.11 says, the same, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud trumpet, with a voice of the Lord will come down with a trumpet call of God and the dead of Christ will rise. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and will meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. This is our blessed hope, right? That just like he left, 
he's going to return and come again. And right now, life is difficult. Life is hard. Life is confusing. Jesus rescued us from our sins and left us here to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly, attractive lives in this present age with eyes ahead, knowing that one day he's going to come back. And if you don't believe that he's coming back, then you probably don't believe that he came the first time. If he didn't, is he going to come back? Then what's the point, right? And so as we wait for Jesus' return, credible Christians start to magnetize others to God. We have work to do to advance his kingdom, to become credible, believable, to love and serve in such a magnetic way that people see that Jesus is alive inside of you and me as you work on mortgages and landscape and as you teach and you're a stay-at-home dad, as you live and act and people see Jesus inside of you. Our blessed hope is he's going to return one day and make everything right and new. And that reality is intended to change everything. It's like, if he came once to forgive me and adopt me and save me, he's going to come again to fix all that's right or wrong in this world. And he left me here for this season to do something, to be credible and magnetic, to show the love and grace of Jesus to others that they might come to know Christ. And it's in this context that Paul writes about slaves in verse 9. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal for them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. The only way Paul could say that to slaves is if Jesus was coming back again. Because if Jesus isn't coming back again, then we have no reason any of us to live a godly life. We might as well do whatever the heck we want because what's the point? But if he is going to return and he does live inside my heart, if he's changed everything for me, I am his now. I belong to him and I am here for him. Without this blessed hope of his return, none of us would have any reason to live a godly life. But because we know he's going to come again and make everything right, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we can endure it to show the world that God is alive. Now, I want to slow down for a minute and talk about slavery because it's easy when we get to New Testament passages about slavery for Christians to fast forward through it and make it about employment. It's easy for Christians to fast forward through it and just listen to the highest level truth. And here's the highest level truth. This is super important. The highest level truth is whatever circumstance you find yourself in, Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, God loves you. He died for you. He forgives you of your sins when you put your trust in him, and he's going to come again and make everything right and new. At the highest level, that is true, and it's important. But I think it's important to do a quick history and theology lesson on slavery because there's more to this than that. It has everything to do with what Paul is saying, but let's slow down for a moment and let's acknowledge together in 2023 that enslaving people is sinful. It's just downright sinful. That the Old Testament law describes sin, the sin of slavery this way in Exodus 21, 16. Anyone who kidnaps, literally steals someone, is to be put to death 
whether this victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. This is God showing a sinful humanity that your trading of people, slaving people, is unholy, unrighteous, and you should pay with your life for doing that. It's God's holy justice. He says, hey, put that person to death. Paul describes slave traders as sinful lawbreakers in 1 Timothy 1.9. He says, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers, rebels. And listen to the kinds of people he puts into the category of lawbreakers, rebels, ungodly, sinful, unholy, and irreligious. Those who kill their fathers and mothers for murderers, for sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. He's saying slave traders are irreligious They are immoral, ungodly, sinful, rebel lawbreakers against God. So whenever the Bible talks about slavery, it's against this backdrop that enslaving people is sinful. It is not God-honoring. It's why when the Jewish people were in slavery for 400 years, what does God do? He sends Moses to rescue them. It's why when the sinful human race for entire humanity has been entrapped in slavery to sin, what does God do? He sends Jesus to free us from our slavery to sin. Slavery is a sin. God despises it, and he rescues those who are enslaved. Yet throughout human history, people have enslaved others. So when the Bible talks about slavery, it is not condoning slavery, it's acknowledging a sinful practice. And one day it will be made right by Jesus. And it's in light of this that God makes these commands throughout the Old and New Testament. He says in Exodus 21, 2, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. There's sinful conditions in the Old Testament where people are enslaving others. He says, but don't enslave them for life. They're not your property. They're humans created in the image of God. It's in a sinful world, slavery happens, but don't perpetuate it, he's saying. In the New Testament, New Testament is written in the Greco-Roman world. In the Roman world, when Romans would come through and conquer places, they would annihilate everyone, and whoever they didn't annihilate, they would enslave, right? And so this is normal in the New Testament writers to intend to teach slaves and slave masters how to interact in this sinful, unjust system. So we read in Colossians 3, 22, slaves obey your masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Chapter four, verse one, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So the Old Testament, New Testament, of the Bible is teaching that slavery is a sin. It's acknowledging this sinful practice in this sinful fallen world that Jesus is gonna return and make all things right and new. And as we wait for that to happen, he's trying to redeem things. Here's how you should live. Here's how you should act in the midst of this injustice. Here's what you should do when the system is broken. Here's how you should live in the family of God. And I want to take this one step further. And I want you to be patient with me for a moment. Please don't stereotype me. Don't, I'm not woke. I'm not liberal or whatever way you want to push me into a corner. Don't do it. Listen for a moment. All of slavery is sinful. It's evil. It's violent. It's against what God wants for the human race. But in the 15th through 18th century, in the Americas, 
what Western Europeans and Americans did to Native Americans and Africans is the epitome of vile and evil. It's called chattel slavery. This is history. This isn't my opinion. This is history. Chattel slavery. It's the enslaving and owning of human beings and their offspring as property. And this word, some people pronounce it chattel, but it's chattel because it's like the word cattle. In the 15th through 18th centuries, people are treating humans like cattle, buying, selling, using for their own personal gain. That is the lowest of low, the vilest of violet. To see a human created in the image of God and treat them, misuse them, and abuse them like their property for their own selfish gain is absolutely vile. And it gets worse. Listen, this isn't woke. This is just true. Listen, Christians used Titus chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 to justify this. Christians opened up their Bibles and said to slaves, you need to obey me. That's what the Bible commands you to do to centuries, for centuries of Native Americans and Africans. Took the word of God and twisted it for their own personal gain. That is sinful, vile, and it takes until the 1800s where enough Christ followers wake up and speak up to say, no, this is wrong. So imagine the situation when you're caught in that situation and circumstance and people are using the Bible against you. It's vile, it's sinful, it's wrong. And you go, well, what does this matter to me? Oh, it matters. This matters. Here's how this gets super practical to 2023. Hear this. Credible Christians acknowledge the sin of slavery and its impact on generations of people. If you want to be believable and credible, here's how I'll explain it. Probably mostly to people that look like me. Here's how I'll explain it. The Holocaust was an atrocity. Millions of Jewish people were annihilated, right? Sinful. Christians were using their Bible to do that. It's terrible, right? This is wrong. If a Christian denied the Holocaust, minimized it, said, you know what? Yeah, it happened, but it's in the past. Who cares? If they did that, would they be credible or believable? Or you'd think they were a quack. And yet somehow, some people that look like me act like what has happened to Native Americans and Africans for centuries treated like cattle. It's like, well, I didn't do it. Yeah, I didn't either. But people that look like me did. But this church didn't do it. Yeah, you're right. But churches that look like ours did. Use their Bible to justify treating humans like animals. Acknowledging this and the impact that it has for generations makes me credible. It makes you credible. And that doesn't, that doesn't, it doesn't give someone the right today to go, you know what, something that happened in the past makes me not have human responsibility today. No, people have responsibility today for their actions. 
So nothing excuses your actions today, but things can explain your actions today and help me to be empathetic and understanding that something that happened for centuries where humans were treated like cattle has generational impact today. And by acknowledging it and feeling it and empathizing with it and working for it and knowing that one day Jesus is gonna return and make all things new. But while I wait for that, I wanna be a part of the solution, not the problem to generations of people that have suffered. How does this impact you and me? We can become more than just credible. We can become magnetic. We can live in all circumstances like Jesus is alive and coming soon. We can live whatever situation we find ourselves in. If Paul can say to slaves who are being mistreated, hey, listen, here's how you're supposed to live. Even in that horribly unjust situation, here's how I want you to live. I want you to live in such a way to show that Jesus is alive, that you act and treat your masters in a credible way. If he can say that to a slave, what would he say to you and me in whatever situation we find ourselves in? He would say to us, wherever you are, whether today life is going sunny for you or it's raining outside, whether you're facing a mistreatment or you're not, whether you're living the dream or living a nightmare, wherever you are, Paul would say, if Jesus is inside you, if he's real and he's forgiven you, if he's coming back to make all things right and new, how does that not change how you live and act and live to, to spend your money and spend your time and interact with people at work and wherever? How does it not impact you if he's live in you and coming again? It must change how you act. And as you wait for Jesus to return, I want to move beyond credible to be magnetic. It's unbelievable that God would leave, his son would go back to heaven and sit down next to God the Father and leave you and me with his spirit inside him to be the agents of love and justice and peace and kindness in this world today so that the kingdom of God hinges on you and me, that he's entrusted all of this to us so that rather being someone that hates, I'm someone who loves Rather than giving into deception, I'm for truth. Rather than being an agitator, I'm for peace. I can be magnetic for Jesus in this world. That's what he put us here for. That you and I can so live that Jesus is so alive in me that it changes how I act on a sports field. It changes how I act at work. It changes how I act at home. It changes how I see every part of human history. It changes me that I might become an son, a daughter, magnetic to draw people into the kingdom of God. Because one day, I know this is hard to believe, one day, Jesus is going to come back and it's gonna shock a lot of people. It's not intended to shock his sons and daughters. If it shocks his sons and daughters, I wonder if you're a son or a daughter. It shouldn't shock his sons and daughters. But we have this blessed hope that we're looking for him to return. And when he comes, he's going to make everything right. And he's going to judge the world, all the people of the world. And everything that's wrong, he's going to make right. And every tear, he's going to wipe and make better. And we are going to live with eternal pleasures at his right hand forevermore. While we wait for that, we've got some work to do. There's work to do in our workplaces, in our government, and politics and policies aren't going to fix it. It's sons and daughters who learn to be credible and magnetic and attractional based on who Jesus is and be changed by him so that every space I walk, I bring the kingdom. 
with love and justice and hope and peace everywhere you and I walk. What an incredible invitation that we get to be magnetic for Jesus. But it's a choice that you make. It's like you can just be one of these Christians by name only who rants about everything or you can be full of love and peace and justice and liberty for all. You can be someone who makes a difference or you can just continue to be a part of the problem. Go ahead, but that's not credible and it's certainly not magnetic. One day Jesus is gonna come back and I wanna hear him say to me, well done. I don't know if that matters to you, but it matters to me. Do you wanna hear well done? Live in such a credible magnetic way that the kingdom of God moves forward with every single one of your Instagram posts, every single one of your decisions at work, every single way you treat your sons and daughters, your aunts and uncles, everything is at stake. The kingdom of God is here. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word that holds up a mirror to us, to show us. Lord, I'm saddened by the sin and the oppression, the injustice of this world. I'm saddened by the way American Christians in our past have used the Bible to justify evil. God, I didn't do it, but people like me did. So I empathize. I enter into the suffering of Native Americans and African Americans who have generationally been hurt. These things just don't go away. All of us the Bible teaches that the sin of Adam impacts all of us, that generationally sin has come down the line. And so all of us, we might have had an alcoholic grandfather or great-grandfather, and that gives us really difficult problems today because generationally sin doesn't just impact me, it impacts those who go before me and those who come after me. So. God, I sympathize and empathize and enter into and acknowledge the injustice that's taken place. God, I want to be, and I know my friends in this room and who are listening want to be credible, magnetic Christians who live in such a way that you're returning and that you're alive now. So that changes how we live and how we breathe and how we think and how we spend our money right now. So help us. Your spirit will guide us to say no to ungodliness and worldly pleasures. Say yes to justice and liberty for all. To be a part of the problem is not our desire, but to be a part of the solution is our hope. Would you guide us, please, and help us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.